This is Scott Becker with the Becker's Healthcare Podcast. I'm thrilled today to be joined by Dr. Kelly Guglielmi. Dr. Guglielmi is the Chief Medical Officer of Advocate Christ Medical Center. Advocate Christ is a remarkable hospital. It's part of the Advocate Aurora Health System in the greater Chicago area. We're going to talk to Dr. Guglielmi today about her career, about her role as CMO, what she's seeing with COVID currently, and a little bit more. Dr. Guglielmi, can I ask you to take a moment to introduce yourself? Sure. Thank you, Scott, and thank you so much for having me. Um, my name, as you said, is uh, Dr. Kelly Guglielmi. I am currently the Chief Medical Officer at Advocate Christ Medical Center and have been in this, in this role for just over four years. I originally trained as a nephrologist and am, board, and am board certified in internal medicine and nephrology. I'd been practicing for over 20 years as a nephrologist uh, and slowly rolled into leadership roles over the past 20 years during my practice and um, was the medical staff president prior to uh, moving into the role of chief medical officer about four year, a little over four years ago. So it's been a journey in terms of leadership and um, I moved away from private practice when I moved into my new role um, and have been in this role now and have been enjoying it, learning a lot about medicine as a whole and most certainly over the last year. Uh, the world has changed, and as a result, many of my responsibilities have changed. Uh, so um, it's great to talk about it today. Thank you very much. In, in the old days of nephrology, and, and I'll take you back probably, you know, when you were just getting started, there were these big personalities running local nephrology chains and dialysis chains, the Denny Sloans of the world, the Gordon Langs of the world. Just take a moment on how the nephrology world changed over the years as well, if you, if you don't mind. One segue. Sure. sure. So I think a lot of exactly as you say, um, much of that has changed. I've been out of the realm of nephrology uh, in terms of the grassroots aspect of it over the past four years. But clearly there's been a transition. Many of the uh, dialysis units that may have been started by nephrologists many years ago have been since taken over by some of the larger uh, dialysis organizations. And as a result, I think that much of the uh, quality uh, uh, that can come along with scale um, has uh, resulted in actually uh, more scrutiny and more oversight of, of dialysis units and how care is delivered uh, to nephrology patients. And I think that that's been a real plus. I know uh, I functioned as a medical director of our dialysis unit uh, several years ago and in partnership with um, the various organizations that owned the dialysis unit at that time, um, it was actually a great, it was a great opportunity to learn from other medical directors in nephrology to learn about best practices in uh, dialysis and the proactive care of pre-dialysis patients and transitioning patients to transplantation. So I think there's been a big push as well to, uh, um, as, as the medical education uh, of, of patients as well as our physicians has been Focus more on prevention. Uh, I think the focus for nephrologists is not so much uh, caring for just dialysis patients, but doing what we can to slow the progression of renal disease and potentially uh, for patients who are eligible and candidates to proactively list them for kidney transplantation. And we know that transplantation is um, here to stay and is our future. And we know that the outcomes are superior for patients who receive kidneys, um, in, in particular if they receive that kidney prior to ever having to see a dialysis machine. 
fascinating and in a real helpful perspective. Thank you very, very much. I'll ask you one more sidebar question, then we'll ask you about chief medical officer and advocate price and so forth. You are a Wisconsinite, at least for a good deal of your education in medical you know, education and fellowship. So uh-huh. have you been able to evolve into a Beers fan or do you remain uh, a Green Bay or Packers fan? I I must tell you that I'm sorry. I am a cheesehead at heart. Um, I've got two boys and a husband. My husband played football, and uh, my two boys are avid Packer fans. So uh, we grew up in a Packer household. My sons always had bedspreads that were Packer bedspreads, and they still have Brett Favre um, logos and such. So I regret to say I think that um, I will forever be a cheesehead. We will always be a Packers fan. We will always be a cheesehead. They used to use a spray called called Fibs to to describe Illinois people, but we will avoid that at all. No, um, that's not fair. Exactly. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. The the next question is Chief Medical Officer. Talk about the role of Chief Medical Officer. You've been a Chief Medical Officer in the dialysis sector. Now you're Chief Medical Officer at really a magnificent hospital. Talk about the role and how you view the priorities and the role of, of Chief Medical Officer. Sure. Thank you. And thank you for the compliment with regard to our hospital, because I'd have to agree with you. We have an amazing hospital. And um, as a chief medical officer in a hospital with our size and scope and scale is, um, you know, difficult to summarize in a few sentences. But what I could probably say is that probably the most important part of the role is leading and supporting our safety and our quality initiatives across all areas, whether it's surgical services, intensive care services, our trauma services, our emergency department, our general medical staff, how we care for our patients safely and with quality using best practices and evidence-based and holding our physicians and our team members accountable and doing this in collaboration with our chief nurse executive and as well with our COOs and the president of our medical staff. That, no matter what, is always our focus. How do we deliver quality care How do we do it in a safe way? How do we do it efficiently? And keeping the patient as our focus. Um, So that's a big statement. And what that means grassroots means a great deal of very robust committees that are reviewing evidence-based medicine, best practices, um, questioning how do we do things, how do we evolve, how do we change, and um, leveraging the expertise of our, for example, our infection preventionists leveraging our intensivists or our surgeons in terms of how do we provide care. Um, We're also a teaching institution, and we have upwards of near 500 uh, residents that rotate through our program in collaboration with multiple medical schools as well as medical students. And how do we provide that care and deliver that care and teach the next uh, wave of physicians? So much of that falls under my scope in collaboration with uh, our other leaders. And in addition, to be part of a system, which is a blessing in my mind, um, the Advocate Aurora system, as you know, has grown and we encompass both Illinois and Wisconsin. The opportunity to partner with other chief medical officers and hear about what other folks are doing learning from each other and working together in that environment to me is really a very important part of my scope and my role. The opportunity for the system to support our site and our site to um, also um, share our experiences with the system so that we, we grow as a group as opposed to being siloed. And um, I think that's an important part of being that connector as the chief medical officer. 
Thank you. Talk just about a different subject right now. The um, COVID right now, you know, things have dipped down a great deal with the advent of the vaccines post sort of January peaks and so forth. Many states are seeing the numbers creep back up a little bit in, in Illinois, where you're located and I'm located. The positivity rates have peaked back up a little bit, you know, from down as low as 2.5% mm-hmm. back to 4% plus. What's the sense of what you're seeing? Is that, is it, are we, is it, what is your sense of where things are going with COVID currently and so forth? So you're right. We are seeing that. And you're, all you have to do is turn on the local or the national news to know that that positivity rate is upticking, some states more more so than others, as you know. Um, and in our state, we are seeing an uptick throughout the state, throughout Cook County, as well as in the city. And uh, we know that um, we are watching this very, very closely. Certainly, we are seeing an uptake in the positivity rate. Um, Much of it is amongst young folks. Uh, We are seeing some rise in the number of hospitalizations throughout the state and as well within our organization, not nearly to the magnitude of what we saw with the first wave in um, mid-March through April. But what we need to do is keep our eyes on the ball with regard to that. And so being as proactive as we can with regard to encouraging vaccination, um, continuing to encourage masking and social distancing and hand hygiene. And I know I sound like a broken record when I talk about that, but it truly does make a difference. So right now we are seeing the uptake. Uh, We are still able though, to be able to continue all of our reactivation efforts. One of the concerns that I have is that people are fearful to come into the hospitals. And what we're saying is no, come, go to your physician's appointments, come into the emergency room if you need to and be proactive about your health care because we, we can't ignore the folks that don't have COVID but have other medical conditions. And what we've seen nationally is that people were delaying health care, understandably, because they were fearful of going to the doctor or they had limited access to the doctor. But now with all of the work that's been done with telehealth visits, virtual visits, and physicians' offices are opening, we want people to get in, get your breast, breast um, screenings, get your colonoscopies, get those things done. We need to do that. And we are seeing people coming back to the hospital. We are seeing them coming in for their screenings and their um, health uh, visits with the physicians. But we need to continue to do that. We can't be fearful of COVID and uh, ignore uh, all of the other important quality initiatives that we have to care for our patients. So we see that uptick. We are closely monitoring that and we are caring for these patients in a very proactive way, but we are nowhere near uh, where we were at many months ago when this started with access to testing. The uh, uptick in vaccination acceptance and the availability of vaccination is so exciting to me. For us to see these numbers going up where people are vaccinating and we've got access, we've been partnering with uh, multiple community organizations, outreaching, we've got several of our docs and team members out there volunteering, working with faith-based organizations to provide good quality education with regard to the safety of the vaccine, indications for the vaccine, and providing that availability, which to me is just very exciting. And so to see the vaccination rates going up 
and knowing that at this point, in fact, I think it was, I read yesterday in um, the um, Illinois Hospital Association uh, communication that we have in Illinois now have vaccinated over six and a half million patients, or six, and we have provided six and a half million vaccines, I should say, and that we are clearly seeing the numbers of completely vaccinated patients going up at this point. Um, in fact, when I looked uh, yesterday, we had about almost 35% of the population in Illinois has at least received one vaccine, and um, almost 19% have been fully vaccinated. And that's been going up exponentially over the past few weeks. So I think as we see the vaccinations going up, we know that that will mitigate. Not only do we know that it decreases the uh, likelihood of of getting COVID, but some of the literature coming out from the CDC recently is also indicating that it helps to mitigate spread. So coupling that with the ongoing mitigation efforts such as masking and social distancing, I'm, I'm really very hopeful that we will get through this. We will see some upsurge likely, particularly because of all of the mass gatherings of younger folks during spring break. We all saw it on the national news. And as these people come back home, there is that risk that they will spread that. Um, I just hope that we have people using good judgment and not um, succumbing to the COVID fatigue that so many people have. And um, as we really continue, we're in this last lap, you know, we're the last mile of the marathon here. And if we can continue to do this for a little while longer, do these, um, follow these, these recommendations and guidelines from the CDC, I'm, I'm hopeful we're going to get through uh, this, but we've got a, the next several weeks and next several months are going to be crucial. Fantastic. And, and, you know, it's so interesting to visit with you and hear your perspective and optimistic. Are you optimistic about the, the next year or so that things are going to keep getting better? And do you believe that the vaccines, even they don't actually stop infection for everybody, that even when they don't totally stop infection, they reduce the severity of infection? Is that is the literature showing that as well? Absolutely. So without question, and that's been shown across a, several of the studies, that uh, while someone still may become infected, there's a small proportion of that, of folks that could still potentially get infected. The likelihood of requiring hospitalization uh, due to that infection is extraordinarily low. And the likelihood of death is extraordinary, also extraordinarily low. So it does mitigate the severity. Um, it clearly prevents. And if somebody does develop infection, clearly it's it's much less severe, you know, dramatically so. Very similar to what we see with influenza, with the influenza vaccine. While you can still re obtain, can still catch fl the flu, it will not be as severe. And we're seeing that even more so on the, uh, with the COVID-19 vaccines, that the severity of illness is dramatically less. So that is very encouraging. The more we um, get to, the more we approach herd immunity, and we, you know, generally call that around 70%, the closer we get there is where we will see normalization of our world. And that's where I'm, I would say that, yes, I am optimistic, cautiously so. This isn't a shoe-in. This really requires responsibility on everybody's part. We as healthcare workers can care for patients when they're ill. We can do what we can to educate, and we will outreach, and we will continue to provide good, solid medical data and information so people can make good decisions for themselves and their families. But we do need people to own this with us. We need the communities to own this with us. We need to do this. And this is truly when we talk about that hashtag in this together, this is the ultimate in this together. We will get through this. Um, I think it's 
the time frame will be based upon how diligent we are as a society to uh, continue to push for these these strategies that will mitigate it. But yes, I am I am optimistic, and not only that, I'm optimistic that we, with time and with intentionality. We'll be, we'll be better in a lot of ways. We've learned a lot through this pandemic. We've learned about our own humanity. We've learned about how important it is to care for each other. Um, we have learned about how important it is to be resilient and to be intentional about supporting each other. We see that in the hospital. Um, our nurses, our physicians, our team members are just tremendous and have been through so much. And I view a responsibility for myself as well as all of all of the healthcare leaders across this country is to be very intentional about supporting these individuals who have done so much for our society and our community and realize that they've been impacted not only professionally, but personally um, by the pandemic. And many of them will need our support, um, but we need to be very intentional about that support for all of the people that have been impacted, our healthcare workers, our community. And I believe that if we do that, we will be better as a society. And um, I think about, and I say this to some of my leaders when we talk about this, we just finished up a physician leadership development group. And one of the comments that I had had is that I think about, um, it's, a, it's a quote that, uh, that really resonates with me from the late John Lewis, where he um, states, we are one people, we are one family, we're the human family. And what affects one of us affects us all. I think so true. And I think that the... This goes to my next point or question. It's so important that we get to truly have longer-term herd immunity and, and to really fight this well. It's so important that, that we both get people vaccinated in the United States, but we also get the entire world vaccinated, isn't it? Because at the end of the day, oh, yeah. there's billions of people that have not been vaccinated. We're just going to have constant recurrence with different variants. That are, you know, We don't live in a vacuum. We live in a very global world. So it's very important. Yes, there's a priority here, of course, it's just natural, but that we really need to focus them on the whole world being vaccinated, don't we? You know, that is a great observation, Scott. I'm so glad you brought that up because it, it is true. We can't just think about ourselves as one hospital or a community or a city or a country. We need to think about this globally because we are truly the human family. And if we don't provide whatever support we can to each other throughout this world, you're exactly right. The the variants will, will evolve that much more quickly um, and will spread because we're a global society now. And so the faster the entire globe is vaccinated, the fewer mutations we will have and the variants that we have. And we know the variants that survive are the ones that are going to be more infectious and potentially uh, more lethal. And so we have that responsibility to our to our society as a whole without question and I'm, I'm glad you brought that up i think it is important we can't forget that in the big picture and in all likelihood uh, there will probably need to be boosters just just as we do with influenza we don't know the frequency with which that will occur but we will absolutely need to do that but addressing this in a global fashion will allow us to get much better control of this over time and we know that this probably won't be the first virus that will occur that that um, can have um, an adverse impact and result in a pandemic. So we need to be constantly aware of what can happen in one part of the country that can suddenly impact the world. Thank you so much, uh, uh, Dr. Guglielmi. 
I guess the only other question is, do you ever say to your husband, you might be a world-class football player, world-class professional athlete, but I'm a world-class professional physician and healer, so we're even. Do you ever say that at home or you let that be? <laughs> well, he's not a professional football player. Maybe in his mind he was, but he's never been a professional football player, just played football. <laughs> <laughs> you said it better than I ever could. No, I'm just kidding. I want to thank you so much for joining us today. Just a, a pleasure to visit, visit with you. Just uh, magnificent. Thank you very, very much for visiting with the Becker's Healthcare Podcast today. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you, Scott. You have a wonderful day.